Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. I'm a psychiatrist. I study the mind and the brain in its physical and cultural context. Meaningful coincidences like synchronicity and serendipity provide clues about how our minds and our brains connect deeply to our bodies, other people, nature, and our environment. Meaningful coincidences seem to occur in all aspects of human life. Just need to be able to expect them to know and notice them, but they're they're everywhere, they're everywhere. I am the founder of the Coincidence Project. The Coincidence Project is composed of 15 coincidence ambassadors who are synchronicity experts from around the world. Each coincidence ambassador has appeared on this show, and we got one today. Our primary mission is to encourage you to tell each other your coincidence stories, which we're going to do today. Why? Because Synchronicities illuminate the invisible currents that connect and unify us. Yes, synchronicities illuminate the invisible currents that connect and unify us. You can join us on the, the Coincidence Ambassadors on Clubhouse, which is a primarily an audio-only conversation platform. You can download the Clubhouse app to your phone. Our club, the Coincidence Project meets every Friday for an hour, beginning at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Come visit us and tell us your coincidence stories. That's 1 p.m. every Friday on Clubhouse. It isn't surprising that my guest today, David Strabala, that is Strabala, and Stray is really a good name for him, baby. And the Balala is a song we could sing. He th say he sings. <laughs> he sings. He sings. He identifies with the archetype, archetype of the trickster in, his, in stories, or that his energy called him to make the award-winning feature documentary. What, what is synchronicity? Hmm. What is that? He carried a trickster role from birth as the surprising as the surprising 13th child of parents who were 50 and 46. Surprise! As tricksters often do, he has crossed many boundaries in his life, starting with two generations he straddled, those of his siblings and of his nieces and nephews, five of whom are older than he is. On the way to making his synchronicity film, he threaded career boundaries, a journalist, a clinical social worker, which he is now, and a storyteller. He brings both personal and professional stories of the trickster today to our healing, to, for healing 
our world. And boy, we all need a good laugh and you bring it to us, David, with your tricksters. And David, David isn't exactly a stranger to me. Uh, we've got, we, we really got to know each other on the back porch of my house in Columbia, Missouri. <laughs> he showed up with a camera, a cameraman and a microphone for his movie. And hey, Dave, okay, we'll do it back here. And he had a a young figure and a Freud figure, and he had me like do something with it. And uh, I don't know what's this social worker coming from Kansas City to Columbia, Missouri, with his camera. What's he doing with synchronicity? I I didn't know, and I still didn't know for quite a while. But I I saw his movie. Yeah, I was in it, and uh, I kind of got to know him in one way or another. But invited him uh, to be a coincidence ambassador. Uh, after I interviewed him on uh, earlier podcast. Um, so I, you know, maybe this guy is interested in um, synchronicity. I mean, it appears to be. But as you might see, David is a little bit on the shy side. Uh, and so you got to like notice that he's a nice guy. He listens well. He tries to be good to people. But you take you take that cover off, man, and I hope we're going to see what's there because it ain't what it looks like on the outside, and that is one form of trickster, right, David? Yeah, am I blushing yet? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, you know me too well, Bernie, and uh, I'll see if I can disillusion you at all or play some other form of trickster that you don't think you already know about. But uh, you're I'm right. Off, about, I'm all for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a feeling we're going to be doing that back and forth today. It's all—it's always a risky thing to, to t bring up uh, the trickster in discussion because you don't know how it's going to come in where you don't expect it, of course. You know, I, I remember when we met before you uh, did the interview for my film, you put me through a, a, a couple paces uh, interviewing me before you agreed, which I was like, who is this guy that, you know, is asking me so many questions about what I'm up to? But that was really, really good. It, it got us off on a good foundation and got me to thinking things uh, that I hadn't thought about, about synchronicity and about uh, what, where I was going with the film. So, yeah, we've had this connection for quite a while. For quite a way. while. That's quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And. And you, as a coincidence ambassador, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that experience for you? Uh, which one? About the uh, film or? The, the coincidence ambassador role. Uh, oh, being, yeah. Being one. But the film, we're going to, we'll go yeah. in and out of the film for sure. Well, I mean, there's yeah. a lot in there. The coincidence ambassador thing, I think what that means a lot to me is around the community that a person such as myself, who's into synchronicity uh, and you, and who knows how many others that we've met uh, can be kind of an isolating place to be. There aren't that many people that dig synchronicity the way we do. And uh, that's kind of as it should be probably uh, because it reaches everybody in a different way. But to have that community, I think is really helpful to support and to validate and go back and forth and to have this bigger vision then of how to bring bring out those stories and other people from all around the world, because I think virtually everybody has had some experience of synchronicity. 
and uh, it's just they don't know what to call it or how to how to hold it or what to do with it. And it either gets blown up too big, like, oh, God is speaking to me and this means a grand thing, which can be dangerous, or on the flip side, just uh, being too cynical about it and disregarding it when it could really be helpful. So finding that zone of how to relate to it, I think, is really important. I think stories, fairy tales, myths offer a lot to uh, of guidance in that way and certainly the group i think is going to has already started to do that f- for those members and for where it's going next yeah and it's uh, the fairy tales are really part of the fun of this thing because i mean life is but a dream anyway and it's a it's a fairy tale if we were able to look at it so the tricks are trying to tell us that hey what we got here ain't what it looks like and just like you yeah. Well, you ain't what it looks like on the outside. And we're going to see more about that. I'd ask you about the synchronicity film and its impact, but I want to, I don't want to do that yeah. right now because sure. uh, I want to get into like more like David Strabel, Strabel, uh, straying off the usual course. Uh, it, tell us, tell us once, tell, I want to hear some of your coincidence stories. I mean, uh, you've got a bunch of them and the, we got to get the trickster archetype clarified here. Sure. Well, I like how you're emphasizing the first part of my how you pronounce my last name, because I tell people as a way to help them remember that I will try not to lead them astray. Uh, and so you picked up on it in, in a totally different way. Um, but, you know, uh, the, uh, I forgot the question already. But I, I have something in mind that are along that line about about my background uh, that I think would be. Go fun ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll, ask, yeah. I'll ask my question. So, yeah. So. Uh, when I was as a way to demonstrate this, this uh, kind of trickster stuff from my family, when I was four years old, uh, at that point, one of my nieces was five, of course, in kindergarten. And guess what? She took me to show and tell as her uncle. And it just it blew the minds of uh, all the uh, all of her classmates, as well as I think even the teacher of how can this guy who's even a little bit younger than her be her uncle. And it's just been stuff like that ever since where I, I feel very admired and and uh, kind of, um, yeah, just really adored by so many of my family. And, and that can go to my head. So I think that's uh, something I've tried to moderate a little bit. Well, I'm glad to know about that because uh that's part of what you're hiding is how adored you were when you were growing up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, good, good, good. Now I got a little bit of like idea in there. You know, we're both in the therapy business. So this is all kind of like uncovering things to see what's there. Yeah, that's right. So that's a good story just in itself. I mean, you were a trickster uh, at a young age and introduced to it and by, mm-hmm. by your mother there or your niece or your uncle or whoever she was, your aunt. Your, <laughs> well, it know. was... <laughs> It was confusing. I, I, my oldest sister is 27 years older than I am. And, and so like half of my siblings, I never grew up with or, or hardly knew. And, and for a while, I thought my oldest sister was my aunt when I was like three years old. I didn't, I didn't know who she was. And they had to keep telling me that's your sister. I'm like, what, really? So it, all kinds of things like that, uh, that are, uh, I'll put it this way. What the trickster does in this case is it blows up assumptions. It blows up certain things that you just assume are going to be uh, kind of fixed. 
And so tricksters either blow things up or try to put things back together to keep things lively. And as a mascot, that was also, I'm just kind of played a mascot role. That was another way that the trickster showed up, uh, you know, just to play tease or to tell a little joke or a lie or something to get a reaction. So uh, that's what the trickster does. It's usually funny, but it can also be destructive. It can be uh, people look at it like the devil and to stay away from it. Uh, but that's also a misnomer. So it, it, it really is a shift sh shaping uh, kind of uh, dynamic. Shape, a shape shifter. That's what I tried to say. I, I'm, I'm helping you already, out already, Yeah, it already got my tongue. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, your strong, your strong trade. Or, I mean, <laughs> your tongue, your tongue straight. Let me get a drink of water. Go ahead. <laughs> so, that, that picture of a little boy having his sister be so much older could be his mother, at least his aunt. That's a shapeshifter of the concepts that most people walk into reality with. And mommy and daddy and uncle and aunt and all the ages are just right. And you were like having to figure out a world that wasn't conventional. So you were already uh, as a guy that had to figure out things aren't the way they appear, including you. Uh, yes. And that's that's a big beginning and a wonderful clarity uh, for the CAs to Quincy Ambassador to, to know this about you and to be able to have me know about this you that kind of sets the stage for me about how you're a boundary crosser boundary breaker boundary sh shifter uh, and, and the good and bad that come with either one of those well and, and what it also highlights or a, a main characteristic of the trickster is that it hangs out on the edge of the community. So it's not central to it. It needs to, if it were central, it would be too much trouble. So it hangs out on, on the edge and it doesn't necessarily belong one place or another uh, for at least certainly not for very long. And so it will cross and then go back and facilitate communication and things like that. So, and I found myself kind of that way, kind of on the edge of both generations, but not fully belonging to either one. And I think that kind of set me up also for moving through different careers and then synthesizing them into, for example, making the film. And uh, so it's been an interesting journey to look back on, even though I'm far from done, I'm sure. Sure, you are not. You are, are far from done. The, the, the being on the edge um, may mean, as it has for me, uh, connecting with other edges. That's right. So that I've become uh, a, 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 a connector that's been a role. Uh, I played among I played wide receiver in in football and it was just that's out there on the edge uh was the I mean I, I like being out there I like playing running back too but being out there on the edge is kind, it's kind of standing there by yourself you're still part of the group uh and you have more freedom out there it's like you're not constrained by being in the middle um and that but then you have the ability if you don't have a football field constraining you, you have the ability then to go out to another group and connect with the, your group with the other group. Is that something that you see yourself having done? Yeah, um, I think that's how I tie in the different careers, you know, that I, I pull a little bit from this one and a little bit from that one. And I don't 
really find myself settling in real hard to just one and, and going deep into it. I suppose the overall deep or main theme would be story for me that combines all of them. Well, tell us um, a story, David. Tell why us don't we? Tell yeah. us a story. Tell us all a right. story. <laughs> so, so here, here's one of my favorite ones. This is this is the kind of synchronicity story that um, some people might consider just a funny thing, and other people might see the symbolism in the in this synchronicity, because uh, it's it was uh, 2008 and I was just beginning to really strongly consider doing my synchronicity film. And there happened to be a symposium on synchronicity at Texas A&M University. So I'm flying from Kansas city to Texas A&M and um, we're just oh half an hour or so into it. And I get to know the people around me. There's a group that are flying together. It turns out they're a church group from the area and they're on their way to Central America to do their very first church mission. And they ask me, what am I up to? And so on. And I tell them about synchronicity and we're having this really good conversation about it. And then suddenly the uh, plane is going along smooth until it, it isn't. It suddenly dropped. There was a, a bit of turbulence and it just took a big dive. And right across from me was the church pastor who was just beginning to raise his water bottle when the plane took a dive and the water just flowed all over his shirt and just drenched him. And of course, everybody laughs, you know, that's a ha ha, you know, look at a slapstick kind of thing. Uh, but it didn't take me long to kind of, I've got that eye for synchronicity and for these unusual events. And I thought, aha, you know, here they are on their very first mission. And it's as if uh, the universe or God, you could look at it as sort of baptizing him, baptizing the whole group, initiating them, uh, blessing them. But when I shared that with uh, the pastor, it kind of took him off guard. He didn't quite relate to it right away. And he said, well, a baptism usually has to do with being dipped. And I said, well, the plane did the dipping. And then he kind of went, oh, well, maybe so. And but meanwhile, then it got me to thinking, well, I and this is where synchronicity gets tricky as well, is it really is in the eye of the beholder. And if you don't have the eye for it, uh, then obviously you're going to miss it. And sometimes, of course, we make them up when they aren't really there. But in this case, I thought, well, I'm going I'm in the same situation. I'm sort of being initiated potentially into this film project. And this is my first strong effort toward it. And so I, I began to since I'm the one having that view, I thought, well, maybe I should own uh, my own little uh, blessing from the universe, perhaps. And, and it did turn out that way. It was it was a great trip. And then that got things rolling. Joe Camry was at that thing. And that's right. That's again a great book coming out of there uh, as a yeah. result, and you got so you got some contact with uh, really one of the giants in thinking about synchronicity from a Jungian perspective when you when you went there. So that's that right. Was, that was a good part of it. But the, what what I like is um, you dipped in the water. Well, you were dipped. <laughs> the plane dipped. <laughs> I mean that was. That's the kind of uh, punster uh, that a crickster would be able to come up with. I mean, I love puns like that, uh, and it it was it was there, and you had to be able to have the flexibility <laughs> to see there was a dip, uh, but not the one the pastor would be looking for. Not as concrete exactly. as that. Exactly. So what what what's with 
being able to do that, David, what allowed you, what, what do you think allows you to make that dip dip? Um, I think it's uh, kind of a practice of looking at things from different angles. So uh, I think I've just spent my life doing that. And that's whether it was growing up in the family and listening to my siblings, listening to my nieces and nephews' points of view, uh, whether it's just something inborn, I think that's possible too, as far as just loving story. And that's what stories and jokes do is they suddenly twist or shift and take a different angle on things. And, and that's a, a lot of what humor involves and what good story involves. So I think I've just been practicing it a long time. And of course, I think the more anybody practices it, you don't have to be a storyteller per se, but just to, just to loosen up. And that's what tricksters try to do is loosen things up uh and and so that situation or a person isn't so rigid and um that, well, what, that can what, make a big difference what i do in that situation is i have an idea in mind like this is a baptism so i'm looking for clues that confirm that it's a baptism and the pastor gives you the clue by saying dip and you then could easily find the dip because there it was. It didn't even take a lot of like stretching, but right. you, you had a pattern in mind that you wanted to like build on. And he gave you the information that you could then twist a little bit to give it to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think also from being a therapist, you know, <laughs> we, we practice reframing constantly. And so it, um, it, it just kind of comes natural. Yeah, uh, if, if there, all you need is a little bit of a, a lead, a little bit of a hook, and then you go, well, "What about? Let's yeah, try this." Maybe and, it's this. Maybe it, yeah, yeah, that's what you just did. So, uh, I like those two things too. David, tell us another story. Oh my gosh! You, you guys, know one. You guys. Know <laughs> uh, one of the one of the interesting things that shows up. One of the ways it shows up in literature is. Uh, with uh, a wise fool. And one of the best ones that you can find a lot of stories about is a fellow named Nasruddin. Nasruddin was a, I think, 13th century, maybe Sufi clergy, wise fool kind of guy. So there are many of these stories, but one of them that I think has a really nice theme to it that can apply today uh, just as much as back then was um, Nasruddin was uh, on his hands and knees one evening, uh, on the, you know, looking for something on the ground. And, you know, and so a neighbor was walking by and says, well, Nasruddin, what happened? Did you lose something? And well, yeah, he said, I lost my house key. And, and the neighbor says, well, let me, maybe I can help you. So the neighbor gets down on his knees and starts looking around on the ground. And after a bit, they weren't coming up with it. And the neighbor says, well, so are you pretty sure you lost it around here then or, or what? And the, Nasruddin says, well, no, actually, I'm pretty sure I lost it down there. <laughs> well, Nasruddin, what are we doing looking here? Why aren't we down there? Because it's all dark down there. There's plenty of light here underneath the streetlight. So there's this, I mean, that's, that looks absolutely ridiculous and foolish, but that's what tricksters do is they point out something in a way that kind of coming in the back door of... Uh, uh, to get at an issue that is, we don't like to go into the dark, you know? And, and so what about 
uh, how could we take the chance and go into the dark? And and so there there are many different things like that. And it it even showed up on on my film uh, when one of the I went to interview Dean Radin at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and um, one of the things he did that morning was put out an email to all his colleagues to say there's a, a film uh, uh, crew coming to town and if you have any synchronicity stories you want to share you know let me know so turned out when i got there then he explained this one colleague had such a story and what it was was his name was robert mcdowell a poet there among other things and and uh he was meditating that morning and during his morning meditation it just popped into his head about wouldn't it be something to uh, see a documentary on synchronicity. You got to thinking there isn't one out there that I know of, and that might be a really good thing if there was one. He hadn't read the email yet till a half an hour, hour later, he gets back to his office and here's this email saying, hey, there's a film crew coming uh, about synchronicity. So of course I interviewed him and we told that he told that story, but he also contributed to the film in a very unique way that I don't know anybody else could have where he talked about how you know if we look into the dark something often looks back and how many you know how many people like to do that some people either shudder like oh that's i don't want to look into the dark and other people go oh that's kind of cool you know isn't that interesting and he says i'm more of that type that likes to look into into that dark and so it, again it's not a popular thing but of course the ancient idea is that there's there can be light a little a little bit of light or gold in the dark and that's where we find renewal that's where we find our life many times is by the willingness to go there and of course that is symbolic of, of a lot of going where hanging out with people that that are on the margins um hanging out with those things and those people that are denigrated or minimized or or what have you uh rather than those that are popular uh, so it's it there's there are all these kind of codes that have to do with dark and light and going places that are not necessarily popular but if you take that chance take that leap many times it will connect you to a deeper part of yourself and to life that will be way more meaningful than whatever was going on before those two stories fit together yeah and and yeah because i was just like well i thought it was just going to be this cute story of him meditating and then once i got to interviewing him more then he had that unique contribution as we just got to talking and so there was this this issue of darkness coming right in in this unusual way i meant the nazradin story in this one yes yes right right well and um I'm trying to think there was um another example of that yeah so uh here's here's nazradin again on darkness uh, he comes into a coffee shop and he exclaims to everybody, um, the moon is greater than the sun. The moon is greater than the sun. And everybody is just kind of rolling their eyes at first. And um, so then somebody finally bites on it and says, well, so Nasruddin, uh, you know, really, how could you say that? I mean, everybody knows the sun is so much brighter. It's bigger. I mean, come on. Um, it's ridiculous, Nasruddin. And Nasruddin says, well, yeah, that's true. But at night is when you really need the light. <laughs> so again, the fool has some wisdom that is just it, it because it's so funny and ridiculous. It makes you realize underneath it, there's a certain truth there to value the moon in a way that you can't value the sun. 
it's a different kind it's a different kind of light one one of my favorite um coincidences is um look up in the sky the sun and the moon from where we stand they look to be the very same size but they're 93 million miles apart what a coincidence yeah what a coincidence yeah that's right yeah it's amazing amazing and, and yeah it's yeah. it's a tr it's a trick up in the sky mm -hmm. i think it's like mm -hmm. if there's there's trickster i mean it, does that fit with trickster things uh, the, that that being the same size and yet being so far apart uh i it might be a little different but at the same time it is in that category i think because what it does is it makes you wonder and and uh, i think that's part of the point is to shake things up a little bit so that you begin to wonder about that and and one of the values then is you see the beauty of something that you didn't quite see before and anytime i think that we're deepening our sense of connection beauty wonder imagination then it's about renewing your life and in your view of life and so that's there it is um well my my look at that david um and see what you think is is that it's a reminder of coincidences are all around us mm -hmm. that's that's yeah. to me the simple message of that uh similarity in, from where we stand and it's all a matter of perspective yes that, that they look similar by where we stand in relationship to them and their size. Uh, their size are relatively uh, proportional so that the distance and the size make it look like the same size. So that, I mean, I, I'm, yeah. as you know, I'm interested, interested in getting people to think about coincidences. I say, All you have to do is look up there, man. It's like there's two of them, especially during an eclipse. Yeah, well, and, and what that, think makes me think about is kind of the fractal nature of the universe as above so below and at this macro level we have this amazing coincidence about the sun and the and the moon appearing the same size and then we can begin to wonder if you know how, how the the universe might be built or our our world is built in some sense that way at many levels um if if you you know you you can connect it that way then how else does it show up you know in your life so yeah that's it's that, yeah. that's the, yeah that's the idea mm -hmm. that's yeah. the idea yeah that's the idea but it's like how many how, how do we get people to look up and wonder you know doesn't it oh look it just happened just like your pastor how do they bring a symbolic interpretation to natural occurrences is that all around us is this um, is nature doing all, all kinds of artistry and communication through symbols. It's like uh, are you a pet animal, pet dog? Yeah, they might bark, but you can tell by the looks in their eyes and the way they're moving and kind of like how they feel. And but they're they're trying to convey something to you, and mm -hmm. it's, without, it's without words. So they're all out there. So. Uh, you've got, I mean, I, I, I just like saying, Hey, David, tell us another coincidence, tell us another trickster story. And as you do that, um, please elaborate yet more about the trickster archetype, because I, okay. think, I think, you know, a lot about what that means. And we haven't really delved that much into it yet. 
Okay, sure. Um, you know, one of the classic stories that I think will bring some more of this out in terms of the value is a uh, uh, trickster tale from Africa. One of their trickster gods is named Eshu, E-S-H-U. It's a very simple little story where uh, Eshu played this uh, kind of trick by wearing a hat that was colored white on one side and black on the other side. And there are different versions of this story, but what one version is that he rides down the middle of Main Street, uh, a, a town where people didn't know him, and he rode right down the middle of it with people on either side. And then after he went through, people began to discuss, well, who was that dude on the, on the horse with the white hat? But of course, that person was talking to somebody from the other side of the street who saw a black hat. And he says, well, that was not a white hat. That was definitely a black hat. And no, it wasn't. I saw white. And people have been arguing about that ever since is one, one version of that. An, an added version is that after some time passed, as you decided, well, I've had enough fun on, on that angle. Let's ride through town going the other way. And so that way he demonstrated that, uh, you know, the truth to both sides. And, and then how do people respond to that? You know, uh, it really what it does is it brings up uh, our fixed nature of looking at things, how much we like to hold on, call it our ego if you want, how much that likes to hold on to our viewpoint, not admit that we're wrong or that we're seeing things incorrectly or that there could be different views and, uh, and that there isn't one that's, that's totally correct. It just depends on point of view, on subjectivity, and that how can we value both? And I think we, need, we certainly need a lot more of that today when, when there are more fixed opinions, ideologies that are coming into play. So it's a, uh, hopefully a nice way to kind of loosen things up uh, for people. And how was your movie part of your trickster archetype? Um, <clears throat> it was just a next step for me, I think, uh, personally. Um, I, th I think one of the, one of the aspects that from a personal experience place was just my own resistance to doing it. Um, and I think we all have that. We want to stay comfort comfortably within our zones and not stretch sometimes, <clears throat> but the calling kind of uh, really grabbed me or, or enticed me. I think I would say to uh, make that leap to do the film and that was trickster operating. I just kind of flirted around the edges again when I got the impetus to do it. And I started hanging around the film club. And next thing you know, I'm, oh, let's just volunteer and see what it's like to be on a film set. And then I meet a guy who's good at, he knows a lot about synchronicity and he knows how to make a film. And, and I needed somebody like that to help me. And then he really called me out. I, it seemed like we were going to be a good match and that we ought to work together. But I was still like, oh, I'll get around to it. You know, maybe I'll call him, you know, later. But he caught, caught up with me before we left on that weekend on that film set. And he said, are you really going to make that film? And that was the calling that I just, I couldn't be ambivalent about anymore. I couldn't uh, say, I'm not sure or no, you know, I just had, took me about two seconds to go, I got to say yes to this. So that was trickster tricking me. And that's often what happens to tricksters is they get tricked themselves. Um, and so at that point, I was like, I just thought I was flirting with the idea, but now I've jumped into the ocean of making this film and I knew I couldn't, there was no going back. And that was the start of it.
that was a lot of work putting that movie together. Yeah. Yeah, it was, but, but it was fun too. And that's what kept me, kept it, uh, even though it took six years, it, it didn't seem like it uh, in some respect because there was always new things I was learning and playing with and people that were helping me this way and that way and all the pieces that needed to come together. Why don't you tell our, our audience uh, how to be able to get a hold of that film? Uh, the title of the film is What is Synchronicity? <clears throat> and so the website is, is the same, whatissynchronicity.com. Um, and you can either uh, download it through Vimeo or, or rent it, or you can uh, purchase a DVD, either one, and just go to that site. You'll find it. And what do you hope people get, will experience? I know people will bring different selves to there. You've got a great drummer in there. You've got a bird flying around while you're doing an interview uh, that just fits with what somebody's talking about. Um, what are some of the outstanding um, coincidence elements in that in that film you'd like to be able to let people be alert to um yeah there's so many because i think part of it is for each person just like with any story um i hope people will pay attention to what grabs them the most uh because it's it's so full of different perspectives and and ideas and stories that i often ask people what what is it that stood out the most to you? And sometimes it'll be, there'll be a certain theme where I'll get, you know, like this one, but other times it's all over the place. So ultimately I think it has to do with people becoming more whole uh, and finding more meaning in life uh, through the, the struggles. And uh, a lot of times that's missing. So it shows up in very odd ways, much of the time. And for people to get comfortable with the odd ways that meaning and beauty show up uh to me that's that's one of the hopes and and that definitely is a trickster element because there's there's that surprise there i think that there pretty much needs to be a surprise in it and so however somebody experiences that there's just a wide range of material there to whether it's about science or art or um philosophy then uh they're just uh something there for everybody it's the surprise, but how can the trickster role be heroic? Well, uh, one idea, there, there are many ways. One is simply that it's, um, it can be a tempering thing for the hero. You know, right now there's a, a strong awareness, I think, in society about the hero's journey through Joseph Campbell and, and so forth. Um, and, you know, as especially for Americans, we really grab hold of that, you know, the cowboy thing or pull your pull yourself up by your bootstraps image or whatever that means. I don't know how you do that. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, um, there, there's so much heroic uh, and sometimes it ends up being hyper masculine kinds of energy that needs some balance. And so sometimes that can go too far and the trickster can then just kind of. Uh, yank it back or or do something uh as a way to temper that so it doesn't get too extreme uh too arrogant too um too stuck just in one way of always using force always going in a straight line which is more of a of a, a unilateral rather than bilateral kind of experience so the, the trickster is about that back and forth and don't do it linearly allow yourself <laughs> to go back and forth Mm -hmm. and off to the side and to fail um, mm -hmm. uh, and that's 
to be able to fail is to be able to have to stop and learn about what you needed to be able to do uh, differently. And in that, in that emptiness, in that darkness, which you've emphasized, there's a, a potential for rebirth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're, we're often very split. <clears throat> you know, it's a very natural uh, part of being human is we're split off in various ways. So that's one of the things that the trickster can do is unite things that we don't think are united. So, um, one of those main things would be in the area of what we call good and bad. We tend to think bad is all bad and good is all good, but there's a little bit of the opposite in, in each one. And so many of the stories have to do with how those play off each other. So there's, uh, there's, there's a classic story that, that really brings that out. It, it's go for got, it. Go for it's it. Now, now, now uh, is, is it okay to say a four letter word beginning with S H or should I temper that? You just did. And you can, the, and that, that's okay, but you just, okay. almost, you, you, then you can just say the four letter word just okay. because it might offend. I mean, you can say that I'm saying the four letter word without saying. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll find it. I'll find another way to do that then. So uh, this is a story about an independent bird. And some people have perhaps heard this, but my version is that this, this bird was so independent that he lived up in Canada, up in the nor way Northland, where it's super cold in the winter. And um, he didn't want to fly south for the hey, winter. Hey, but you got to use the word. I, you told me this story, so just use the word. Go ahead. Okay, okay. So, so uh, he's, he doesn't want to fly south for the winter. And all his bird friends try to talk him out of that, and, um, but to no avail. So they all take off without him. And he makes it through a few weeks of winter. So one day he realizes, oh, man, this is just too much. I, I, I'm a fool here. I'm just going to have to, you know, bite my bite the bullet and take off. So he does. He, he uh, takes off for the south, but he doesn't get too far because he gets caught in an ice storm and his wings get totally frozen and he falls to earth. So now he's thinking, oh, man, this what could be worse than this? I'm going to die freezing to death in the middle of nowhere. But just then, as he had that thought, a cow came along and shit on him. And he's like, geez, I wondered what could be worse. And I just found out. But then in a few more seconds, he's like, wait a minute. Some of you might be thinking this already. You know, the shit's warm and now yeah, his wings yeah. are melting yeah. and he's flapping his wings to get out of it. And he, he even gets his head above it finally. And he sees a bush nearby and he thinks I can take cover under that bush and wait for the storm to pass and then everything will be fine. Well, he got, he was so happy with that turn of events. I mean, who wouldn't be uh, sort of, and he's, so he's <laughs> chirping away, you know, chirp, chirp, because that's what birds do when they're so happy, of course. And he didn't realize that nearby was the farm cat uh -oh. and the cat heard the chirps quickly came over, found the bird. And I'm sad to say ate the bird <laughs> now, but that's not quite the end of the story. I know okay. it's a tragic ending it's for the bird, but there's, yeah. there's a little bit more here in terms of finding meaning. So, so use this as your model. If, if, if you would people for any kind of bad experience, perhaps um, three things we can take away. Number one, not everybody who shits on you is your enemy. Number two, not everybody who gets you out of shit is your friend. <laughs> and number three, if you're happy in a pile of shit, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> All right. That's a, yeah, <laughs> that's, 
the nice thing about hearing some of these stories the second time is you can get into it more. So I, 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 that's, a, that's a good one. That's a, that's a good one. Well, and a little bit of a coincidence about that is that about a year ago or so, I came upon a book that features this kind of idea of the comic tragedy, or is it the tragic comedy, <laughs> however you want to say that, uh, of story and how that can be healing. Uh, it's a book by Angus Fletcher called Wonder Works, Wonder Works. And he's got a chapter in there called Unfreeze Your Heart. And what he, the book is about different techniques and literature that have had certain effects uh, psychologically or socially on, on us humans. And uh, so what he does is takes that to say, there, he doesn't use that story in particular, but ones like it where there's tragedy and there's comedy and what that can do, especially for people who are kind of frozen in their emotion. Some people, for example, that have post-traumatic stress, something like that. Uh, there's a way about going into that feeling of the tragedy, but yet coming out with some humor that can kind of loosen things up for some people with uh, that, that are kind of locked up with their emotions. Uh, so I find that fascinating. I, I haven't looked into a lot of research about that, but it's a fascinating idea. It sure seems like it could be true. And uh, I've told this story many times to young people in juvenile detention where I work part some of the time. And I all, almost always, I can get them to at least smile uh, and sometimes laugh out loud. And that really, I think, helps loosen up their experience of, of course, them being uh, very scared about being in detention or, or what have you. So uh, I th there are a lot of different applications for that idea. Yeah. Another way to heal. Uh, heal comes from the word whole, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and whole has the word uh, whole, H-O-L-E in it, but making it into a whole uh, and healing is part of this. Um, so what, how, why should people be interested in the trickster as an archetype in synchronicity? Um, one of the things I think that's overlooked is, is simply that it's all around us. Uh, you could say that the world, the universe is based, existence is based on trickster. Uh, there are different people that would talk about this. The philosopher Alan Watts refers to the world uh, as being kind of uh, the main game of the world being hide and seek or peekaboo because everything is waving you know we we are even though solid objects seem like they're solid of course at the at the very tiny level there the, the molecules are waving and so on so everything's waving light and sound so we forget that because we're so much just in it all the time just like a bird forgets that it's flying in air because that's what it what it's always doing so um just to remember that first of all, life was a surprise, you know, how do, we're all surprised to be here. None of us really know how we got here unless we're extra, extraordinary in some way uh, uh, to have some knowledge that most of us don't have. So the world is based on surprise and we need to keep that alive. Otherwise we get bored. We need to keep things lively. And so that's one of the main functions of that trickster in the background. And, and so to, to appreciate it, look for it, uh, of course, we, when it comes to surprises, we just want the good ones. You know, that's part of the trouble. We don't want bad surprises. And I think that's, that's one reason we might shy away from them. But um, 
just to bear that in mind as a way to hold life so we're not so uh, rigid or, or stuck, maybe. Uh, I think that can be an important thing that we, that we overlook. Well, one of the uh, almost defining characteristics of synchronicity, uh, meaningful coincidences, is surprise. I mean, right? Yes. And so synchronicity is one of those main ways that surprises show up uh, to keep things lively or to disturb us or to support us, either one. Um, one of my favorite quotes uh, goes something like this, that uh, art is here to disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. So there's this kind of uh, double-edgedness to a coincidence or a surprise or a synchronicity is that if we need one thing, if we really need to support, then maybe it comes along to do that. But if we're too stuck in our ways and we need to be shaken up a bit, then it might do that just as well. And to be open to both and to be able to smile a, a bit, even if it's a disturbing uh, thing that happens. Uh, it's that paradox of whatever good and bad is to like it, that are part of the same thing. Yin and Yang mm -hmm. is one of those expressions. And yes. the yin yang thing has the opposite color or black and white. One the white has a little black in it, the black white black has a little white in it. And that's what you're trying to be able to do. And human beings have so much trouble uh just not having the polarity being one or the other. They can't do both. It's a big problem that I think synchronicity, meaningful coincidences help to break up as part of the trickster thing. Exactly. And that's where that story of the independent bird and stories like it uh, can, can remind people of that. Uh, there's another classic fairy tale uh, called The Lost Horse, which I won't go through it bit by bit, but it's just this back and forth again of a horse gets lost, then it's, re then it's found, which seems like a good thing. <clears throat> But then the young man who found it breaks his arm trying to train it for riding purposes, which seems like a bad thing. But then the military comes along a week later looking for young men to go to war, but he can't go to war because he broke his arm. And so that looks like a good thing. But depending on the viewpoint and depending on what happens next, who knows? So this, this is a main feature of life that we often forget and want to get locked in too much to a certain um, state so it's a very necessary thing uh that uh if we can learn to appreciate it more then uh, i think our life becomes more um enlivened and uh meaningful and maybe we gain more confidence about the future and about even all the chaotic things going on in the world that again it's waves and so uh if we can tie into that and remember then maybe we can learn how to ride the waves how do we how do we do that with what's happening with Russia and Ukraine? <laughs> oh man, um, I don't know. That's that's a real that's a real touchy thing. That's um, and that is, and I'm not going to uh, yeah. encourage you to go into it. But I think it's what a lot of people are trying to be able to do. Um, yeah, is be able to see what can come out of this that uh, is helpful. Uh, for the world, because my one of my major things about uh, what the Coincidence Project could do and what I want to do um, personally, I hope the Coincidence Project will do it, 
Now, Coincidence Project is made up of the Coincidence Ambassadors and a Coincidence Cafe uh, that more people come in and out. Remember, the Coincidence Cafe is where you can get serendipity <laughs> or synchronicity. You can have those at the, at the Coincidence Cafe. We try to be able to, uh, to understand what we're doing with synchronicity in a way that can help not save the planet. I mean, this is, this is, this is a misstatement. The planet's going to be here whether we are here or not. We are on a self-destructive path as human beings. Uh, we are destroying our habitat. Not too many creatures do that. We're destroying the earth that nurtures us with greed and destroying parts of nature that we need, like trees, for example. So we, I'm hoping that we are able to use synchronicity as a way of modifying this addiction that we have to material things. It's kind of like a, an alcoholic stuck in destroying his or her environment, but still needing to keep drinking because that's what I want to do. And to be able to stop that is to admit that we are addicted to material growth, material, ma taking materials in from the earth all the time. And from there, maybe we have a chance of changing our minds from not thinking about it, not contemplating it, to contemplating, to thinking about how we change in a direction that saves humanity, not the earth. I mean, it's mm -hmm. going to be around. Mm -hmm. let, me ask yeah. you, let me ask you a final question. What do you think of that, David? And then I'll ask you a final question. Well, I guess personally, I it seems so overwhelming what's going on in the world and things are, I think your assessment is real good there about we're addicted to certain things. And, and that's part of the trickster is the trickster has excessive appetites. All right. And, and uh, hungers and so on. And that's part of what gets the trickster into trouble. So that's another aspect to, to keep in mind uh, how that relates to the trickster. But I think, you know, Carl Jung was so focused on the, uh, encouraging people to do their inner work and that there was more potential there. I think he said, if enough people do their inner work, then that bodes well for a better outcome for the world. And that's, uh, again, that's one of those things that most people probably don't want to consider very strongly, but that inner work means to be in touch with your dreams, be in touch with what's in your heart, your imagination uh, that's authentic for you. And that might surprise you and challenge you to go outside your comfort zone. And so to be about that, that's something more that you can control, whereas things in the world are so big that our ability to, to shape or control those it, directly uh, in ways that our ego might is, is not so good. So I think we can help more by being ourselves, being authentically ourselves, and, and that then becomes contagious for other people to do that. So um, it's more of a indirect, uh, less is more kind of attitude, I think, that I try to take. I think it's very essential. Um, I, I think you didn't mention the shadow that's inside of us, but of course, that's what you were also referring to. That's right. To, to look at the Putin maybe inside of each of us to, in the United States and other places, to look at the racist inside of us and 
for white males to look at the misogynist in each of us. We have them in us. We can say the words, but we don't necessarily change what's deeply in us. Culturally, for a long time, have a lot of ways of being a, a shadow uh, without knowing that we have it. So the world's shadow is now coming out. Uh, the shadow of humanity is now coming out. And that's one way to think about it. And without going into more detail about it, I don't think it's enough to do your own work. I think we have to also develop ways to relate to each other much better. Compassion, conflict resolution, being able to listen to the other person and hear that other person's perspective, even though it might be different from yours. Mm -hmm. These are some of the steps that have to be taken so that humanity, through coincidences, recognizes the hidden currents, the invisible currents that connect us and can unite us if we recognize them. Mm -hmm. that, that comes from being able to say that we're all part of this together, but then look at the ways in which we need to behave with each other so that we're not always like, I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a great point about the projections and the shadow. And again, that's where I think they overlap and play off each other, that if I do a certain amount of that inner work to know where my shadows are, then I'm not going to be simply projecting it out in conversation with those people that I'm trying to unite with or, or uh, communicate with. So absolutely. Yeah. So as we come to near the end of this, David, um, why don't you tell us some of the misconceptions about the trickster archetype? Well, uh, probably the main one uh, is that it's kind of associated with the devil. And of course, that's kind of a natural human thing that, that we do when we don't understand something is we tend to either minimize it, demonize it, do, do one, of the, one of those kinds of reactions. And so to have some appreciation for um, that element of life is probably one of the biggest hurdles that most people are not familiar with. Um, and if, if we just start with that, then I think that uh, will go a long way toward uh, being able to navigate it. Then one of the effects can be that you don't get conned so easily. You know, part of the trickster, of course, has the shadow of a, of a con man uh, kind of thing. And so can we recognize that not just out there, but, but inside us and uh, therefore be able to, um, you know, just navigate life better. Otherwise we kind of can become taken advantage of or uh, misled. Did I hear you right and say that, that the trickster can like trick us? Is that what, kind of what you were saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so sometimes um, a person, if they're aware of their own things that they lie about or cheat about or whatever, they're going to and acknowledge that, then they're going to be able to uh, recognize that more in the outer world and not be taken in. That's one thing. But of course, we're not always going to be able to do that. And so uh, whatever our extremities are, wherever we go to some extreme, that's where we are likely to where the trickster is going to come in to check and balance us, so to speak. 
and it, it's going to happen. Uh, it's, and, and that's part of what goes with stretching. You know, we all have to kind of be a fool sometimes, you know, so that would be another thing is, oh, I don't want to be a fool. Uh, but actually, uh, that's oftentimes where growth happens is ways that we're foolish. And, and uh, sometimes you don't know what, what, fool, what, what is foolish until you go too far with something. You want to show that slide with the figure? Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. And that has something to do with what you're talking about. Yeah, let's see if I can bring that up here. So let me expand this. And so this is um, a fancy word that everybody, uh, it'd be great if, if more people got familiar with this word um, and impress friends at parties or something. And antiodromia down here uh, in the left corner of, of the slide. Uh, and that I'll demonstrate it right here. So it's obviously the infinity symbol um, and it indicates anything that goes to its extreme will in some way become its opposite. Uh, and to be aware of that is a factor. So even something as basic as uh, light, we have to have light to be able to, to see, but if you have too much light glaring at you, you go blind or you can't look at the sun or you go blind. Um, so almost anything that you can think about or name that you think is good and needed, it's got its shadow component so much that at some point it, it ceases to be what it first was and sort of becomes opposite in some way, even love. So just to be aware of that factor, I think, can make a big difference. And, you know, there's even this quote down here from William Blake about a fool who persists in his folly will become wise. So that's, again, another example of that and, and might be a, a little bit of hope in some way that whatever follies you might see in the world, we can hope that at some point they reach their turning around point. Well, uh, some people thought I was foolish to uh, be pursuing uh, synchronicity for so long. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I knew that I there was something to it, uh, but I didn't have much support for it. Mm -hmm. And it looks what I'm not out on the edge anymore. Um, it's just kind of like I know a lot about it. Uh, have my book coming out um, in September. Uh, try to state what I've already, what I've learned about it. So I've it's getting out on the edge can like where it, you're being foolish in the eyes of some people anyway. Uh, gets you maybe inside, but it's all risky, and you got to like put it in there and believe that you've got something going for you. And, That's and right. I want to play with a word, uh, with a pun here. Um, uh, that, well, not exactly that, but um, I like words that sound alike, uh, homonyms that have uh, different meanings. But um, and so that's another trickster thing, I think. Uh, just like your dip thing was a, a play on that at the beginning. Uh, foolish, F-O-O-L-I-S-H, L-I-S-H. Um, the two O's, if you put uh, a U and an E in there, you get fuelish. What do you think of that one? Um, I think that's perfect because the fool does fuel your life. 
And again, it's a surprising thing that you wouldn't normally want to see or acknowledge. And uh, it, it sounds close enough to being the same word. And uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe that could be worked. Are you going to work that into uh, a story yourself or your book in some way? No, I, I, this, this is your thing to run with if you want it. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I'm just thinking about that from our discussion today. I mean, it oh, wow. It just, it just, just yeah. came up oh. Yeah, because of, it would seem so evident that you were saying what this means. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cool. So there's, there's some creativity happening right here live during the, the conversation that yeah. is, is very, yeah. Very yeah, cool. It, it's 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 you did this with me, and I come at it from uh, the uh, Kabbalistic idea that um, uh, in in the Hebrew letters, the consonants were the only things that mattered. The vowels uh, didn't weren't included until like the 1800s as part of Hebrew writing. Oh, so you can look at just the consonants, and that's my beginning hypothesis because I see this other places and then, and then change the vowels around. And the context is what makes the difference uh, between the cons these constants here and these cons constants, consonants there. Yeah. Wow. That's fun. I, that gives that. I didn't realize that. So I'm going to start playing with words that way now myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to say this too, Bernie, about, you know, the coincidence ambassadors and all that you've been doing with that. Um, when I, this is, it's just such another extension of, of my taking this leap to do the film is I didn't know where that would take me after that, you know, and even once I got it done, some of the people that helped me were like, well, so now what are you going to do? How are you going to market it? You know, I don't know. I just, I'm happy to get it done. And so I, since then I've been gradually opening up and getting comfortable with being out there in a more extroverted way, a less shy way. And you've really helped me with that. And the coincidence ambassadors does. And, and it's just amazing. You told, I remember you told me you were going to do something like this when we met. And I thought, wow, that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. And here you are, here we are. And uh, it's, it's really just getting a good start, I think. And it'll be amazing to see what, what else, where else it goes. The, these things have a life of their own. My movie sure did. And I'm sure this does. Yeah. We're going to have a, a nonprofit pretty soon, um, legally. Um, it's going to get more organized. And the idea I've had for it, you just, you just said um, that I wanted to help people like you uh, be able to find a platform to flourish your ideas more. And so that's what we got. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so, so glad. I'm so glad we did this. Um, I, I've interviewed you before in podcasts, but I know you better. So I can like uh, get into this foolishness with you. Yes. And uh, get energized for both of us. And I'll be curious to, uh, what you do with uh, that wordplay. And I think this is going to give you a lead to other consonants and vowel things where you're going to play around with it. It's just your mind works that way. So yeah. You're going yeah. to be able to do that. I do love playing with words. And so that's right up my alley. Uh, yeah. Right up your alley. Yeah. Right up your alley. Yeah. So, David, tell us a little bit more about you personally. That's the way I like to end a lot of these. Um, you know, yeah, just 
just tell tell our audience something about you besides being number 13 and uh, aunts and uncles craziness uh, and all the stuff we talked about with your movies. But what about, and you, you know, see with the kids in detention and you're working there. And so just tell us something about you personally that we haven't gotten to. Sure. Well, um, you know what I think I'll tell uh, since you ask is this is um, it's certainly in a personal area. Um, this happened about f five months ago. Um, one of the things about being on the edge, maybe like I have been in life is, uh, and I didn't think this would necessarily be the case, but I've never married. And, um, but I've had many, well, several pretty significant relationships. And I, there had been a time period where I wasn't dating anybody. And, and I was actually talking to an ex-girlfriend uh, a little bit about six months ago. And she said for about the second or third time that since we have conversations about once a year, and she said, you know, maybe you should try eHarmony, um, you know, to, to meet somebody. And, and when she'd said it before, I was always like, oh, to be honest, I kind of sort of thought I was too good for it <laughs> to go to a dating site. You know, I just, the, the, that part of me that's cynical or critical didn't, didn't think it would amount to anything. But this time when she said it, it stuck. And I think that's one of the things I want to leave people is one way to connect with some of these synchronicities is when it's got an internal component, especially in your heart or imagination, that seems to stick. Then I think it, for me anyway, it's more authentic. And, and so I, somehow I just decided a few days later, I'm going to get on, I'm going to try it. I didn't expect much. And, but lo and behold, after about a month, I'm, I met somebody. <laughs> it surprised both of us, to be honest. And it's just such a great uh, relationship, it's such a blessing. Um, and we both kind of discovered we were both rather unconventional. And that's one another reason I thought I wouldn't meet anybody. And she was in her own way that, like that. And we just clicked. And so here we are. And um, it was because of that suggestion. And it, it kind of also, for me, humbled me. I, I, and I don't like normally to talk about being humbled, because how humble are you if you're talking about being humbled you know, the, in antiodromia but, or paradox? But uh, it, it was that thing of I had to get over my negative opinion of dating sites and just kind of bow down and go, give it a try, you know, it, not, not that much to lose. And and sure enough i had a lot to gain so um you know there you go well i'm glad i'm glad it's a good story david it's a nice place for us to end so Thanks. thank you very much for for a great conversation and uh, uh thank you you're welcome uh and i know i'll see you soon indeed bernie it was great appreciate it you're welcome this is our mental atmosphere like a hologram of cosmic consciousness?